Hello, I'm Beth Carson Wallace, and welcome to Life Changes. The show is dedicated to helping you find your true self, whatever that means to you, so that you can be enthusiastic about what's yet to come. Healing takes hard work, but on the other side of that work, freedom and peace are right there waiting. We can do this together. So let's get started. Hello, Rob. Welcome. So how you doing? I'm doing well. Things couldn't be much better. So, you know, life's good. I'm healthy. Kids are healthy. Good. Love my good. work. So good. life's good, baby. Rob now, Rob has, has cut some albums. And, and do you have a new album or a new song? What What is it I heard on uh, Spotify? Oh, I don't know. There's, I'm on Spotify. I've, I've had... I was you have a, a new song. I, I was a reticent artist at best. I cared more about producing other people. That's and, not uh, that. Stop. You are not a reticent artist. You're a very, very well respected artist. Well, some people like it, but you know, I, I, uh, I've had three or four major record deals kind of given to me, and uh, and uh, plus I've had thing over in Japan, and then recently one out of Chicago. But I don't know what new one is on Spotify. They've it's a the last album I did was that Christian album, as you know, uh, from a little black church. Tell us about that. Well, I, during COVID, I was basically sheltering in place in Memphis. And I would come to this little black church up here every now and then, every two or three weeks, and they found out I was in the music business. And the preacher said, uh, you know, you show up, you need to sing. And I thought, well, I said, well, I'm not really a singer. I'm a producer and publisher. And he said, no, you got to sing. So he wanted me to. So I, every time I would show up, I would write a song to have to do. And so then about a year and a half ago, I went in the studio and recorded 11 of them. Real okay, quickly. wait a minute. Slow down, Rob. So you mm-hmm. were going to this little black church. How many people were in this church? Well, it was during COVID. There's probably only about 10 of us in the audience, in the congregation. Okay. And, okay. You know, and I love those Beautiful. people, man. It was, it was a real, a, I still go to it. It's a f- fulfilling experience. And so, so anyway, I did that and I really love that album. And that's the most recent thing I've done. And other than that, man, I did the secular stuff for Columbia and an RCA and a label in Japan. And there we go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's neat. Well, so how in the world did you get into this business? Is this was it just something that's been in your blood your whole life, or where where did this begin? Well, you know, my mother was a piano teacher, and I took piano while in, in middle school every time, uh-huh. and then I played in rock bands in college, and then I went into radio, and uh, that radio rock station in Knoxville when I was going through UT, and. Uh, that's where I met Millsap. He used to listen to me on the radio because we covered the whole Southeast at night when I was on. And Ronnie was an R&B artist, and he came up and wanted to meet me because he had listened to me. And we became friends. That was back in 1966. And uh, mm-hmm. and then I came down to Nashville, and uh, later on I wrote a song that I, didn't, I wasn't trying to be a writer, but I wrote one that a guy at Columbia heard and signed me as an artist, and that started stuff. I ended up producing things from then on. Okay. okay. I read an article um, that was in the paper, and it ended up being in Sports Illustrated way yeah. back. What, what what year was that? That was 1962 when I graduated from high school. I, <laughs> I, I entered these track meets. In, in, in effect, I came down to the state to Cathalon. I, I did not have a track team. And You didn't have a track te- team no, in your school? But I, just, okay. I did it by myself and just uh, – um, you know, so to prepare to prepare for the decathlon, which is ten events, 
I mm-hmm. used a cannon, an old Civil War cannonball as a shot put and made my own hurdles and all that type of stuff. So they were, they were so quite, you were creating they, your own equipment. Yeah, and uh, the newspaper was taken by the fact that I did this on my own. And so then I came down to Nashville and uh, pulled some kind of a muscle in my hip in the high jump on the first day's competitions, two days. And uh, and then so I didn't actually – I wasn't able to finish it. But then Sports Illustrated picked up on it and wrote an article about that, you know, a little blurb. And uh, it was fun. It's cool, you know. But, but then I went back into to music to get bands. So so wait so you so you didn't get anywhere in this competition, but, then, no, I, but I they couldn't. were they were moved by the fact that this this high school kid created his own, yeah. um, his own equipment to do a yeah. sport that was not even at his school to yeah. compete. And so okay, that was it. Yeah, basically, <laughs> when I injured my hip on the in a high jump, then I actually still ran the four hundred. But I had to hop the last fifty yards. <laughs> I couldn't walk. I still so, be so, the guy. Some a guy, there was a guy that I beat that was on a football scholarship to UT, so I, I wasn't horrible. Yeah. But anyway, I couldn't yeah. I couldn't do the second day's competition. Okay, so so Rob, I'm trying to paint a, paint with a broad stroke a picture of Rob. So what what I'm getting here is a picture <laughs> of a kid who. Okay, first I've got a guy who goes to this little darling church, and where there's only ten people going to church. And and you're singing, and, and they're saying, or they're picking up on that you can do this music thing, and they're saying, N- N- what did they say to you that they want you to? Well, the the minister who was an inspiring minister said, if whenever you come, you need to sing. So okay. I didn't want to sing just a regular hymn, so I wrote a song each time you come. So you wrote a song, and you would mm-hmm. sing it, okay? Yeah. And okay, all right. There's that story, and then there's this other story about. You were just this kid, a senior in high school, and there was a track competition at another school or that was locally, and your school didn't have track, so you created a track. Yeah, it was a the competition was for all of East okay. Tennessee, and uh, I, I entered in it for the, all of East Tennessee, <laughs> and then I was selected to go to the state. And, and, you know, and, and so you went to the state, but then, but some, but but you ended up pulling a ligament or something, so so you couldn't do anything, and so you went back home and joined your your school band. Well, I went back to music. What I was what I was involved <laughs> in. They all made a big deal about that. So, but it was so, funny. I pulled something in my. The guy had to, had to have a coach come down here with me, and he was the basketball coach. And he said, "Well, you'll be all right. You probably just pulled a groin muscle." I walked around Nashville all night, all damn night long, trying to work that thing out, and I limped for three months. So you know, whatever it was, I just made it worse. Jeez. Okay, so so you went down, so, but you went you went and charged back to your to your the home the, the the home of your heart, which was the band. So you're yeah. back into your safety zone. And so that to me kind of is that maybe a defining moment where you're going, no, well, I'm going no, back to my band. I, I just I was doing that just for fun, Beth. You know, you, you start off that you don't start off in music to make money. You know, no, you, I, of you, course not. I, and I so know. it's uh, I was went I back to that. I was playing in bands, and then I went off to college and played in bands, and then I got into radio, and then you got then I came radio. to Nashville. You got into radio, and you you enjoyed being a DJ, right? Yeah, I was good at it. Yeah, you, know. you were good. Yep. Yep, and, yep. Uh, I say that because we never got beat in the ratings myself and this other guy. But then I came down to Nashville and started inadvertently producing some records. And then one thing led to another, and I had some albums out. And then I produced a bunch of other artists. And, I, and Ronnie and I had known each other since '66, and so I 
ended up producing him starting in 1978. Wow. Um, wow. And you're still hip. with him today. And he just yeah. did his, his farewell show, right? Yeah. Ronnie's been doing this for a long, long time. And so he made this like his last concert in Nashville, not his last concert anywhere, but he had 22 different country, mainly country artists came and sang one of his hits and they had people like Kelly Clarkson, who is really good, sang, and yeah, Keith Urban, yeah. people like that, and uh, Ricky Skaggs. And, and so he did that, and uh, he's still going out on the road some. But uh, he's it's the last, as Keith Urban said, well, you have to do a, what was it, not a renewal. He said, you have to do a final concert before you can do a reunion concert. You know, let's do it all over again <laughs> next year. Brian Mills at 2.0. <laughs> anyway, it was good. It was a it was a good evening, and it was a wonderful night. It, so it, you you traveled all these years on a bus with with the band with Ronnie and the band, and and along the way you've had some incredible experiences. Can you tell us about some of those? Well, first off, I I worked in the studio with him in the recording studio. I, I mainly yeah. well, I okay, and we had a publishing company together and signed some very successful writers, and. uh but I stayed in, I worked in Nashville in the recording studio. I did not go out on the road with him. I went out oh, one time okay. and did a thing in Vegas with him, an off show, off stage comedy thing uh, in Vegas, Tahoe, and, and uh, Reno. And then, but I, the last several months, I've gone out with him some just for the fun of it, just to support him, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you've met some really incredible people, haven't you? Yeah. I'm Ronnie and I have been, some people think, joined at the hip for about 44, 45 years. We've, we're real close. You know? you know him very well. Oh, yeah. So y'all are almost like family. Kind and Ronnie's, Ronnie's blind, right? Yeah, he's blind, yeah. Can, can, do you know how he became blind? Do you know? Oh, yeah, he was born blind. He, he, his right eye, I'll give you a quick thing. Yeah. Uh, his right eye couldn't see anything out of His left eye, he could tell, tell if the sun were out and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and if there was a light on in the room. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when he was six years old, they sent him to the blind school. He was raised in the Smokies. Well, when he was a year and one day old, his mother kicked him out because she thought she was being punished by God because he was blind. So he was raised mm -hmm. by his step-grandfather, not even blood kin, mm -hmm. in, a, in a shack up in the mountains, no running water, no electricity, no car, no road to it. Uh, and they sent him across the state. To a blind school when he was six and he would come home at Christmas and in June on a trailways bus and uh, spend the night by himself alone in the in the trailways bus station in the Asheville bus station on hard, those hard benches. Mm -hmm. and somebody would put him on a bus the next morning and he would go to his home and his grandfather would find someone who had a car to come pick him up. Oh, in other words, he had a hard time. Ah. He grew up, he grew up really, really rural and poor. And then when he was 14, a house father hit him, slapped him real hard in the face on his left eye. Who, who hit him? A house father. A What's a house was, father? Well, you know, they, it was, it, Ronnie was living in a dormitory. Okay. Blind kids, it was, they all lived there. Okay. It was, it was 400 miles from his home, so they lived right. there. Okay. And a house father hit him, and, and he basically lost sight of that eye. And he said he saw red for about, three months and then they, and they took that eye out and I asked him one time oh. I said where do they take the eye out Ryan they take you over to Duke or to the hospital there in Raleigh and he said no they just took me back in the infirmary 
and cut it out. Oh. oh. And that's something. I said, with what, man? Like a, a knife and a spoon? He said, they gave him a shot right in the, in the bridge of his oh. nose there and one over there on the left-hand side and cut that damn thing out. And I, that's barbaric. Oh, and, oh, oh, my. <laughs> anyway, that's what Goodness. that's what he over has overcome. And that's what he did. You know, so I, he he's the most it- normal person I know, given what he's been through. Oh my goodness! <laughs> no, I can't. I, I mean, I, ha- I can't let it come to up to my uh, I mean, to my I vision about Millsap for hours, so we don't have time for that. Yeah, so, uh, no, but that, that. Thank you for sharing that story. It gives gives insight to that man, and um, I happened to meet him once, and it's a very sweet person. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the story of 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 your relationship. Well, I mean of. You're just the story of Ronnie, actually. So um, I, I did. I, I do know about an event that happened. You tell us about Mike. What's his last name? Mike Reed. Mike loved. Reed. Tell us mm-hmm. about Mike Reed because I've heard of Mike uh, Reed. As, as concise as I can, he Mike was a highly celebrated defensive tackle for Penn State under Joe Paterno, the coach. A legendary coach, and he was the first-round draft choice for the Cincinnati Bengals as a defensive tackle playing pro football. He was all pro two of the five. He only played five years. Two of those years, he was all pro, was rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, a great player. But after five years, he quit. He thought, is this all there is? And he moved to Nashville later trying to make it as a songwriter, and nobody wanted anything to do with him. And But he had heard a record that I had produced on Ronnie that he that he loved, and he thought that's where I want to be. So he met me, and before he was leaving town to quit to go back home to Cincinnati, he said, "Would you be interested in me as a writer?" And I said, "Well, Lord, yeah, I love this if you do." So he started. We had a handshake agreement. And he wrote eleven eleven number one records for Ronnie. He had hits by Tim McGraw, tons of people, Barbara Mandrell, and uh, uh, and then he also wrote later. He wrote the seminal song. I can't make you love me for Bonnie Raitt, which is like one of the most valuable songs. One of the most. Okay, back up. You said he wrote hits by. You mean hits that he wrote the music. He wrote these songs and these people sang them. Yeah, and made yeah, made I, them into hits. Barbara he, Mandrell. He, he had a fifteen minute record deal, but basically people like Millsap had eleven number one country records of Mike's. He cut like seventeen of Mike's songs. People oh. like Tim McGraw and Barbara Mandrell, the Oak Ridge Boys, all those people from back in that time period. They also recorded his songs, and then Bonnie Raitt recorded that "I Can't Make You Love Me," and uh, that's a in the, right now it's also already included in the Great American Songbook. It's considered what they call a standard. And uh, so then Mike, uh, he got involved with Broadway plays for a while, and now he's doing a poetry thing that I'm kind of producing, helping him with. He plays piano and recites poetry that he's written, and it's just wonderful. And then he has a, a saxophone player that plays different instruments that accompanies him. And it's a classic situation of the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. It's just right. absolutely wonderful. And so we're doing another show here at Amy Grant's event space, her barn, within a few months. And then Mike will, Mike will end up using a little what we call highlight reel of that, our show. And we'll mm-hmm. send it to performing arts centers. And then he and Sam can go out and play all or as few as they want of these performing arts centers all around America. It's, wow. It's wonderful. It's it's. It's kind of a new entertainment form. I've never seen it before. It's That's, inspiring. It's a, so what do you mean it's a new entertainment form? The, well, the, who, this, thing, the, this thing that he's doing now with, yeah, exactly. with the other instruments? Well, not that so much. It's like, first off, his 
resume, they say, you know, having been a pro football player mm -hmm. in that violent world and then become a songwriter and yeah. then written, written a song that's like one of the most touching songs written in America in the last 50 years. Yeah. To be that sensitive. He's like a Renaissance man. Do, and, do uh, you have any recordings of him singing any of these songs? Yeah, I, I cut a lot of stuff on Mike. Yeah. And, uh, but this, we did this thing down in Memphis with the help of Jane Folk, a lady I know down there who uh, was a fan of Mike's. And we did at the Halloran just as kind of a run through and to get an what idea. Is what, the it like. hmm? what is the Halloran? What is the Well, it's connected to the, uh, I forget the name of the main Orpheum? one. Orpheum. Yeah, it's part of the yeah. Orpheum. And yeah, okay. uh, a fellow down there had us. We just did it on stage one Sunday afternoon with uh, some people, 20 or 30 people, and Mike and Sam, this guy playing the saxophone and all. And it's just damn wonderful, you know, so. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's it. That's neat. That's neat. Well, gosh, it sounds like your uh, music life, you're producing and you're creating and you're inspiring others, you know, not only seeing the talent, but seeing where the talent can go. And how yeah, that's the stuff I'm most proud of is the fact of having discovered people like Mike and discover and nobody really wanted anything to do with him. He was not in vogue in Nashville at the time. He's now considered a treasure of Nashville. And uh, but yeah. to help him get started and then to do this is another he will do this for the rest of his life, man. It's wonderful. That's great. Mm -hmm. That is really something. Let's talk a little bit more about you. So there's Rob. So I, here's what I was thinking about. OK, so you chose to go this route. You, did, did it ever occur to you to do anything else with your yeah. life? Is this? Oh, it did. Yeah. Okay, really what, not the not, not the radio. But when I was during the Vietnam era, I was getting ready to go be in the Air Force and was getting ready to go off to officer training school. And I had applied for, and nobody got in there because it was too difficult. But I got accepted into the officer program in the Air National Guard, which meant I could stay in Nashville or Knoxville. And so I took that. But at one point during that time period, I almost went full time and went into the pilot program anyway. And I debated that, but I ended up staying in music. Uh, what I, made you make that decision? Do you remember? No, I don't. It's just well, one thing. I wonder if it was a woman. I was married at the time. And, oh, uh, okay. But it was a, I don't remember. It's just I, I liked what I was doing. And I just started something in Nashville when I had to go down there and in uh, San Antonio. And but I almost, you know, you can't do everything in life, Beth. You can't do you do a lot, but you can't. Some some certain type of careers, you you just choose one or the other, and that's what I had right. to do. So I went with that. But that's really lucky that that you're one of these people. That I mean, a lot of people trudge along and they go, "What am I going to do? How am I going to make a living? How am I going to do it?" And it sounds like you're one of these effervescent people that is just wide open. That if something um, strikes you, you're open to it. And I mean, I'm not saying everything will do that, but you're open to, well, okay, I think I'll go fly some airplanes or I think I'll go get involved in this. But I really do think I'm going to, I want to be in this, what was the name of that sport that you wanted to do that your school didn't have? In track? Oh, yeah, that wasn't not track. track I, yeah, yeah. yeah, but you know, it's like the, the sky's the limit. I, think, I just enjoyed it. I, I think I'll go do that. You but know, no, 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 I think I'll go do this. I've always been kind of open-minded about artists and writers and such because, and I'm proud of that. It's, it's uh, to help start some new people and who are struggling and who who are not what's considered 
the the way to go at the time. And uh, Mike right. is a prime example of that. And I had some others that I did that with, but it's a, yeah, I'm proud of that because that's I've helped through Mike and through those writers. I've helped what I think bring some beauty to the world, you know, and some feeling. That's really neat. Yeah, know, which is a which is yeah. a lot of, which I'm and besides I, I mean I'm I'm basically as far as life goes I'm rich man I got two healthy kids and we're going to get to that and, I can't wait to get to that and also um, listeners we're going to be able to hear some of this stuff that this music yeah. I keep I always say stuff that's a horrible word no, that's a, that's a, that's fine <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> we're going to if you want to huh? play one right now I'll play that uh, off that I do I do what are we going to put on. There's two things I would like to play today, and one I'm going to be this off that from that little black church called the Jesus Way, and I can do oh, that. Yes. Okay. okay, Rob Galbraith, let's hear it. Oh, you love me, oh, you love me, and I turned, I turned away. I don't know why. I cannot really, really say But I know now, oh, I know now I have gone, gone astray I'm gonna try, try, try the Jesus way Yeah, that's good, Carrie Don't, 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 don't Oh, you showed me how I, I should be and I don't know, no, I don't know what is wrong, wrong with me. But I know now, Lord, I know now, I'm no longer afraid. I'm gonna try, try, try the Jesus way. Oh, the Jesus way, oh, the Jesus way, oh, the Jesus way. Oh, the Jesus way, oh, the Jesus way, oh, the Jesus way. No matter come what may, Lord, Lord, now, now, I know now, yes, I know now, I have gone, gone astray. It's time to try, try, try. Oh, the Jesus way, oh, the 
Jesus. That's got it. Um, gosh, I just have you got anything of Ronnie? Yeah, I've, I've done. <laughs> I've done it. What did you? Can you play? I mean, can you play something that, that where Ronnie's singing? Have you, yeah, I played throw- one that uh, I've never gotten tired of this song and uh, found for Ronnie and helped him with. Uh, it's a song that Mike Reed wrote. It's called "Stranger in My House." So I'll play that one. Oh, I've heard that. Yeah, let's let's just do two back to back. Let's okay, just great. go for it. Okay. Here, here it is. All righty. Let it roll. Sir, 
oh, that I've I've heard Mike Reed sing that song, but I've never heard Ronnie sing it. That is, oh, that is that that is just all eerie. It's every single feeling there is. It's a big record for Ronnie. Yeah, well done, well done. Okay, well. Okay, Rob, I was going to ask you about something, and I don't want to make you uncomfortable. So um, I'm just going to ask you straight out. I know you had a son that died, mm-hmm. and I don't, Jonah, and I don't know how comfortable you are talking about that. Oh, um, I have no trouble. Jonah, uh, he was born with a, what's called an encephalocele. It's a, and anyway, he was severely handicapped, retarded mentally and physically. I just leave it at that, and he he lived to be thirty four years old. They didn't think he was going to live ten minutes. They didn't even Beth. They didn't even suction him. They just put him over on a metal thing, expecting him to die. And uh, we transferred him to another hospital the next day, and over Vanderbilt, and and he 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 had more of a desire to live than any animal or person I've ever met. I mean, you know, it was amazing. He had a fever of one hundred and seven point six one time, and then another time he had one of one hundred eight. His personal best, and uh, so anyway. But he was. I never want. I would never want to go through that again. I wouldn't want anyone in the world to have to go through that. Uh, but I, w- I am glad that I had to go through it because he. Uh, because it puts a lot of life in perspective. Simple as that. I mean, you know, uh, seeing those handicapped children all the time, man, and it just uh, helped you realize what's important and what's not. And uh, he lived mm-hmm. to be thirty-four, and he was in uh, assisted living for the last fifteen years of his life, and. He was a very influential kid. He had songs written about him. He had articles written about him. And, and uh, anyway, it was it was it was tough. That's all I'll tell you. It was it was hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you think you're the only one in the world that has that has mm-hmm. that problem. But then you finally meet some other people and some programs and some schools and and you get a support system, and that was helpful. And we had to have a lot of humor to get through that because man, if you thought about it too much, it's just debilitating. You know? And I'm sure it was exhausting. Yeah, I, you know, I, and and during the time it happened, my former wife and I, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't really start feeling too sorry for ourselves or anything because you just, it's, it's, you can't do that. It's just you. Did you have family in town to yeah, help you? I, well, I had two more girls after that. After that Nazi that lived next door to us said, you, he was taught German at Vanderbilt. And he said you should not have any more children. He's like he's Doctor Mengele or somebody. Wait, wait, who, what are you talking about? You had a Nazi kind of guy that lived. There was next a guy door. that taught German at Vanderbilt, and he was a professor lived next door to us. And he was once we had a handicapped child, he was adamant that we should not have any more children. You know, and uh, and he, he was a thick German accent. He went over to Germany and finally died. But he, uh, we had two <laughs> two children later on. What a what a horrible person. Oh, he was. Yeah, it wasn't a I'm nice sorry. Guy. God bless yeah. him, but he wasn't a nice guy. But we had two healthy girls later on. And, you know, I have no tolerance for people who are upset with the sex of their child. Because if you have a healthy child, as you uh-huh. know, Beth, you have a healthy child, you know, you're blessed. But That's Jonah right. was a, he, he was tough, man. That was a hard life. And, uh, but my children became very compassionate because of having been around handicapped children their whole life. In, know? in the sense that they, they were born after Jonah. Yeah, after. So they saw their brother. And they saw the children he was, or or, or the, the the young people he was around. Yeah, yeah. They saw, yeah and they yeah. saw his life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, your life involved taking care of Jonah and getting him where he needed to be, 
and the little children, your your little children. Yeah, I, it, I was, it was hard, but, you know, it worked out. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that kid was in the hospital. He was septic. He was in intensive care for six weeks. I mean, it, it's amazing what he went through. And then at one point, when he wasn't sick, he was living in this assisted living, and he wasn't in the hospital. We didn't. All of a sudden, he just one morning, I think Jonah kind of felt, well, okay, I'm done with this. I've been there, done that. I'm out of here. He just died all of a sudden, and uh, huh. uh, but I was with, I was with him about fifteen minutes after he died, and I was with my father when he died. And Beth, uh, I had an overriding, strong feeling in my bones that there's your spirit, because these people were both of them very vibrant personalities. Your spirit does not die; it just goes somewhere else. It doesn't cease to exist; it just goes somewhere else. And uh, you uh, you couldn't kill a spirit like Jonah or my father's man. It was just like oof. Too tough. So, so you had that experience with both of these deaths. Yeah, I mean, you had that feeling with your father when you were with your father, and when went right. Yeah, after I saw Jonah him take died. his last breath, and you know, and and, uh, and this, with Jonah, I was like fifteen minutes later, and I look at Jonah, knowing how he was. I mean, he ain't dead. I mean, he he's not in this body anymore, but he's somewhere else. But he's called. Oh, in trouble. other words, you knew that he was alive, so but just yeah, not yeah, in that yeah. body. He, he, you know, he's still ram. Rampaging somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. But you could actually see it by looking at his yeah, I, empty I, I body. I felt like I knew it. I knew it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I still do. I know it in my bones. So, you know, people can believe what they want to believe. But to me, that's, you know, there's oh, something else uh, out there. Absolutely. And your father, you felt the same way after he yeah, took his last yeah. breath? I, I saw the blood. I for, I for, I, I've seen it too, Rob. I've seen what, the, the end of life and the, the empty shell that suddenly appears. Yeah, exactly. Of a body. Exactly. Exactly. It's just a shell, and, and it looks like a shell. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it, it just—it's the spirit's gone. Um, the did you feel gone, any it, it, any relief that he was out of that body? That yeah, just been I so felt difficult? I felt relief for two things. One, he was not having to deal with that anymore. His his mm -hmm. best day was worse than our worst day physically. He just had a hard hard time for years, and uh, and I just felt like I felt relief from myself. Selfishly, I felt relief because it was. It was a lot for a long time. We loved him, yeah. but uh, you know, and I was happy for him that he was now on a level playing field with everybody else. You know, once that's he died. right. That's that's so well said. Yeah, that well, is so well said. And you know, I agree with you. We're just put on this earth for for a, for a minute. Exactly. But his you know, minute was terrible. He had a terrible minute here. He needed to get out of here. But he doesn't have it anymore. You know, so he's no. He's better off than I. But it and gave like you I, of some bad minutes. Sometimes. Like I mentioned one time, we didn't, Meryl and I, we we couldn't, you know, feel too sorry for ourselves or anything. Yeah, I'm glad I went through it. An, I wouldn't want to go through yeah. it again. You have an you have an amazing stamina. You know, I, this is a, a a podcast about life coaching, but I've been unable to apply that to this interview because I'm listening to you, and there's no application for it here because. I'm hearing a man that seems to have made choices all through his adult life that were based on healthy, healthy things and that didn't seem to get bogged down in um, superficial circumstances that, that lead so many of us in, in, into places where we lose ourselves. You don't seem to have done that. And really? I want to know what your secret is. Well, I can't say I've got a secret, but, uh, you know, 
at this point in my life, I just try to put things in God's hands because he's going to make it a lot better than it would be if I just tried to do it on my own, Yeah, get my own yeah. results. But back then, it's like you just really don't want to get bogged down in the enormity of what you're facing or else it will be debilitating or somebody's going to leave, and that's just not going to happen or wasn't going to happen. So, you know, you, you get through Jonah lived 34 years, and it was 34 years of, of uh, lingering death. You know, because uh, it, it, it was day to day, night to night. You never knew, and it, it was tough to get that grief out. Well, we never let ourselves grieve much during his life, but after he died, I remember a couple of years back down in Memphis, actually, uh, appeared something hit me, and I don't know whether it was a word or a comment or a thought, but uh, I was grieving inconsolably for about. 30 minutes, oh, and uh, wow. I assume that was good. I haven't done that since. I've never done that before, but I, I imagine I needed yeah, it, and I, yeah. it's probably still some of it down there now. It's a pretty deep-seated feeling from you know 34 years of going through it, and you don't lose it overnight. It reminded me of when my father had died. I was there with him, and then uh, after the funeral, I was executive of the estate, so once everything calmed down and everyone left, I just forced myself to grieve about him. I had not grieved up until that point because it was so busy after soon after he died, you know how that goes. So and I felt like I was looking down on that poor boy crying down there and, and uh it, it, he was just getting it out of his system. And I think that's good for us. I think that's healthy. And uh so there you go. Say la vie, said the old folks, it goes to show you never can tell. Well Miss Beth, thank you so very much for allowing me to come by and talk to you. Thank you for coming. Let's end with a song. I'm gonna let you pick one. Okay, I'm going to do this something. thing that was my favorite song that I've ever written. It's called okay. uh, When She Turns 45. I wrote it for my daughters. It's not about a girlfriend. And it's also a, a one-line apology to my wife <laughs> Oh, <laughs> for, for okay. putting her through some stuff. And it's like okay. it's basically saying that you hope you're around when your daughters go through any tough times. And that's what that is. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll play that. But, and thank you again, Beth. Uh, thank you for being here, Rob. Okay, baby. I hope that I'm around when she turns 45 And he goes crazy It's not that I'm profound or desperate to survive But we're talking about my baby I hope that I can let her know things will get better It's just a momentary And I know that they will Still she's gonna feel As if she's nobody's baby When things go all right 
and trouble grows She's more than a wife She's the reason for my life And she's stronger than she knows She turns 45 If a he goes crazy Cause I have been there too Lord, I've caused that kind of blues And it always hurts Yes, it always hurts Like this father hurts for his baby Oh, Rob, that, that was just beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Thanks again, Rob. Thank y'all for coming today. And if you'd uh, like to send me an email, you can write me at bcwlifechanges at gmail.com. Please email me. I look forward to it. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day.